Shoulder of Orion is brought to you by the generous support of our incredible patrons. To learn more about joining our Patreon, please visit www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Do you like our owl? How many questions does it usually take to spot? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many questions? 20, 30 cross-referenced. Fiery the angels fell. Deep thunder rolled around their shores, burning with the fires of a hawk. You new models are happy screaming the shit. Because you've never seen a miracle. You imagined it was you. Oh, you did. You did. We all wish it was us. That's why we believe. All the best memories are hers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Green, and I'm joined here by my contributing co-host, Peter from the Midwest. And we are Jamie-less tonight because Mr. Prater is currently traveling across Europe. And uh, we figured we'd do a little bit of a mini-sode tonight, kind of a catch-up show. We really have been dying to talk about Blade Runner Origins, which I'm currently waving in front of my microphone just for a little bit of, you know, a little bit of Foley there for you. Um, Which also I have to say, on Blade Runner Origins number eight, on the reverse side, has a nice big splash page advertisement for uh, Black Lotus. So it, it feels like there's just there's Blade Runner content coming out left and right <laughs> nowadays. We just had another episode of Black Lotus drop yesterday as we record this. But we wanted to touch base tonight to do a kind of a quick little show, just the two of us to talk about the story, talk about what we're thinking about it. And also to say that the trade paperback edition of I think the second arc of this is coming out just days after this episode airs. So, you know, before we get into it, just in, in case you're not already collecting all these things, Titan has done an amazing job. And David Leach, who's been on a number of times, creative director for this stuff, great guy, um, are doing a great job of giving us lots of content. And I don't even mean just story content, although we do have now 2019, which is over, 2029, Origins, et cetera, but also just all these different editions of it. So if you read it digitally, you can get it that way. If you read it, you know, serially on a week by week or a month by month basis, you can get it in individual issues with tons and tons of variant covers, which are still so cool after all this time. There's still so much great art coming out. Um, or you can get the collected trade editions, like what I'm alluding to, or you can even get, and I just realized this when I was reading through one of the individual editions of it, box sets. They have actual collected box set trade editions now for at least for 2019, but maybe even for other ones too. So all this being said, uh, if if you're not reading this at this point, there's, you know, unless you're just not interested in it, there's really no excuse because you can read it in essentially any format that written words have ever appeared in other than maybe cave paintings, but I'm not (laughs) going to put it past them to also be doing that. So all that being said, Peter, my friend, happy Thanksgiving belatedly. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. It's good. A lot to give thanks for both. um, I think in everyone's lives and also just in the, in the Blade Runner universe. Amen. And and happy Thanksgiving to those of you who celebrate, who are listening uh, to this episode. So how are you? So you're caught up on origins, I'm assuming, correct? Yes. Yep. Good. Otherwise, this would be a difficult conversation to be having. Tonight. Yes, it would be. 
I am as well. I actually just read number eight today because it just came out, I think, a week ago as we were recording this. Before we get into the story more broadly, I want to kind of put this in context of when it came out and how the story has kind of blossomed over time. So for me, I feel like it was a breath of fresh air just because the Ash story from 2019 and then 2029 had become uh, more kind of ingrained in my memory by that point. And not like it was getting boring, but it was sort of like, okay, I kind of know what I'm dealing with, right? That story has still gone in very interesting directions, but it didn't feel, the, the sort of novelty had worn off. And then we get Origins, right? which from the very beginning has a lot of very flagrantly different things about it. It's set in 2009, which just I think is so interesting from a canon standpoint, but also from a, a timeline standpoint, because this is before the events of the first film. And up until now, we really haven't explored that in depth at all. So it's set you know, before the first movie. It's following this really interesting character, Cal Moreau, who is sort of straddles many worlds as a lot of the best Blade Runner characters do. And uh, and it's very much centered on this idea of identity and what identity means, um, which is something that's always been wrapped up in Blade Runner, of course. But in this one, it takes a lot of very overt, very interesting forms, um, whether that's transhumanism, transgenderism, uh, whether it's you know, about finding who you really are, about finding who you're running from and uh, being surprised about who you might run into. So I, it's been it's been a refreshing experience for me and I've just loved the work the whole time. But what, what about you, Peter? No, exactly. I think you, you've, you've put it very well in that. Um, I think the, the 2019, the 2029 storyline, I mean, not to down talk it at all, it's been amazing. And you know that run of comics, I think did a lot of the heavy lifting, which was, can we accept Blade Runner in comic? form in illustrated form in anything other than movies or shorts um and i think so that that did a lot of the heavy listing i think a lot of what you said in the last episode that we recorded um, on the black lotus um i think origins took a minute for me to sort of do exactly what you were talking about which is learn how to i guess navigate a different type a different story like you said, I think the Ash storyline became a little familiar. Again, not boring at all. I'm, I'm, I love it. I'm, I'm excited to see where it keeps going. Um, but it did become all of a sudden familiar, which is good. But it was nice to be thrown again into a brand new mix and have to, you know, learn again. And it's sort of that that fun feeling of of a new relationship that you're about to form with any body of work, and it's it's exciting. And so it was really fun to follow and. Um, it, we'll get into it, but I, I found it initially confusing, which was both very frustrating for me. Um, as in, uh, you know, I think I'm a, a, a very uh, well versed um, um, comic reader and can follow comics very well, but I found myself having to jump around and reread pages or go back an issue or two, even. And so, you know, I, we can talk about that, but it, it's been fun, it's been, it's been good. So, I'm, I'm I don't know. I'm I'm really excited to talk about. It. I'm glad that you. This was the one that we picked too. This this is definitely the storyline of of the three comics that I think is is actually the most interesting so far. Yeah, yeah. So any of those confusions we should talk through tonight because there'll probably be ones that our listeners will have shared. So I'm flagging that to bring up again. Yeah. Um, something else that I, I want to say about Origins that I really appreciate is when it first came out, I think we were planning the that run of episodes that we did 
the mini series on replicant, you know, quote unquote manufacturing or like where they come from. And, uh, and I remember thinking like, oh, this feels so prescient because, um, of course, you know, we, in, in Blade Runner, we have, we're, we're dealing with Nexus 6 as being the model that is, you know, of the day. And, you know, Rachel being this experimental prototype of the Nexus 7. But what we see in Origins is the very beginning of that road, starting with the Nexus 4s, which have become commonplace and they're all over as service models. And then this bridge model, this Nexus 5, which, you know, presumably brings us closer to the Nexus 6 as we see with Roy Batty, et cetera, in 2019. Um, but that's something that I really appreciate because something that we were doing a lot in the run up to that episode is talking about like what were replicants like before this, before they were, you know, photographically similar to humans, before they could pass indistinguishably among us. And here we start to see some glimpses into that, right? And into how it, we're dealing with a society that's still coming to grips in a lot of ways with some of these emerging technologies. And that's something that I love about setting this in 2009, right? These are people who remember presumably that the sky was blue above the smog line, right? There's a, a lesson in here that these kids are being taught about the fact that, you know, there's still a blue sky out there, even though nobody sees it anymore. Um, these are people who are living with a lot of these like luxuries that feel more in keeping with this kind of Asimovian ideal of the future because they're sort of optimistic, right? Like we're seeing spinners that look really clean and really cool. We're seeing an LA that, although it has slums and a lot of this takes place in, a, in the slum quote unquote area, um, is pretty vibrant and pretty beautiful and pretty, uh, you know, majestic. It really feels polyglot, right? We have a lot of Cyrillic text in here for one thing. We have a lot of Italian, the polylingualism of this, feels more inclusive and truly like it's like it feels like a time when immigrants were coming as opposed to people being kind of shepherded into the few areas that remain it feels more multicultural in that way and uh and and i i feel like the relationships people have like we see there's a moment where one of the service model nexus fours is starting to malfunction because he had that thought implant right that that thought loop started and um and the, i don't remember what his name is but there you know this mother and her daughter are just sort of addressing him as he's like doing the dishes and you see this uh, glimpse into what normal life was like with replicants before the blackout and before a lot of the events that we talk about in 2049, but also in 2019 when they were exiled, right? You see what it was like when replicants were like the new cool thing. And this is right around the time that replicants looked like us. And so instead of being presumably, you know, robotic androids who were walking around like, you know, the Jetsons or something, this was like, now they, they look and they can fit in. And now it's like, it's just like us, but better, but we can control them. And they're going to do the dishes for us after dinner every night, um, which clearly comes with problems of its own. So watching that and then watching how this Nexus 5 model, which I, I, was a twist that I did not see coming at all, um, breaks that paradigm wide open, reminds me obviously a lot of Rachel breaking the paradigm of the Nexus 6 and 7s, but also of events in, in future movies too, with the resistance, et cetera, from 2049. I guess before we kind of, unless you have other sort of high-level thoughts before we get into it, I, I want to kick off by uh, talking about Cal for a moment. And I'm wondering, does he work for you as a Blade Runner protagonist? What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I I'll start out a little general. Um, I, to be honest, I revisited uh, episode 99, the interview with, uh, how do you pronounce his last name again? I'm sorry. Leech. Was it David? Leech. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thanks. For some reason, I had keys and K and no, I was already on thoughts of, of what to talk about. But no, uh, to, to be fair, thought, I've, I've never heard him say his own name before. So this yeah. could be, he could just be being nice and maybe it's pronounced Lech. 
But yeah. we'll go with Leech. We'll say it's Leech. We'll, we'll go with it. Yeah. Anyways, um, other than just being a hilarious, you know, sub interview subject, I thought he had a lot of really good things to say regarding. Um, it was fun hearing Origins again and hearing a, cre- a member of the creative team talk about it now that it's been here and it's been read. I remember when we when I first heard that interview, it seemed so far off and seemed just sort of. I don't know. I, I hadn't read anything of it yet. I haven't read any of the issues yet. Um, and, you know, I, I think they had just come out or a couple episodes or issues had been out, maybe the first or second by then. Anyways, and to hear it now after reading some of it was really fun. And, and to see what he was saying, actually, he was spot on. And I think the main part of that is being the fact that it's not about going back to show you the origin of a specific person, a specific object, or a backstory. It's not here to fill in any answers. It's to really, like he said, just go back and talk about, hey, I wonder what the Nexus 4 was like. I wonder, you know, and so I really enjoyed that. And I enjoy seeing how that's now playing out in the story. And it's exactly that. And, you know, to sort of now wrap in into Cal here, it's interesting how it's not, at least, it's 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 closing off the fears I had again, and what um, Leach represent or talked about, which is again, it's, it's not giving us any answers. It's going back to the general story, and like you said, we're going now to a time, um, almost simpler times in a way, of <laughs> seeing how these replicants were when again, like you said, they were the shiny new toy, they were the iPhone, they were the Zoom call. Um, you know, you almost imagine people were still playing with voice functions or like changing their accents for fun or, (laughs) you know, doing whatever you can do with Alexa and, you know, asking them to tell jokes. And so it's really interesting then to have a protagonist come in, or at least who we, it's eight episodes in now. So it's a protagonist. (laughs) I think that's fair to say. Um, but you never know. Um, it could shift, but so it's interesting to see a sort of hardened, and I like it. I like the, it, he's sort of prototypical, um, hardened. I don't, I, can, I still haven't figured some of this out. This may be the confusing part to me that we can talk through too is, you know, it sounds like he's a, a not exactly a company man, but he's a, an officer or some type of enforcement officer. Um, sounds like he's had actual combat experience and now trying to, you know, work in the world and Tyrell wants him to come work for them privatized. So it sounds like he's probably worth, you know, he's part of a a public officer force or something similar to a police force. Um, And so that would probably not work for me if it was in 2019 or was in 2049, because that's just too much a Deckard. It's too much just the, the hardened guy in the time when it, you need to be hard or obviously he's had, you know, fights with replicants, but here, like you said, in sort of more an idyllic time of replicants, it's interesting to find out, or it'll be interesting to see why he is the way he is. So I think his character type maybe wouldn't work on another storyline, but having someone who's obviously of, of his, um, I don't know, again, he just seems like a hard boiled cop. And I don't think that'd work in a lot of other storylines, but I think it works here because why is he that way when right now it doesn't seem like there's a lot of problems. 
Yeah, I think you're touching on something interesting. And one of the things I want to go back to is is you were talking about him being prototypical. I think in this case, that's really a literal reality is we're seeing the prototype, right, for what the Blade Runners would become because mm-hmm. he is an LAPD officer, right? He has a badge. He's not using it much of the time. And he's working under contract with Tyrell, you know, to chase down whatever's going on with Lydia Kind's, you know, uh, suspected murder. So, so he's definitely like a detective working across lines to chase replicants. But where this is a world that doesn't have roles like that yet that are laid out, right? Tyrell has, uh, you know, people like Laura Stahl, right, who works as sort of an enforcer, and she's behind a lot of the programs that led to the Nexus Five. But she's, you know, seems to be kind of a love figure, right? Exactly. Um, and the LAPD obviously has an enforcement capability in general, but this idea of like hunting as a detective Blade Runners is something that I don't think this world has a vocabulary around yet. So that's interesting. It's also, I, I really love, something that I love about him is his fighting style, which I think is, it's kind of hard in comics to get that right sometimes, you know, obviously with characters like Spider-Man or Daredevil who have very specific physical attributes when they fight like you can kind of bring it out but but in general for like a kind of a cop figure i feel like it's hard to make it feel distinctive as an action piece a lot of the time but with him it always feels distinctive and part of it is because of his uh the way that he uses the environment to his advantage right like a great example is when he's chasing i mean for one thing i just want to say the uh the art layouts in this by danino by fernando danino are like and Lesko, Marco Lesko, are like fucking fantastic. I and and this is as somebody who reads comics obsessively, as you know very well. I adore what they're doing with their panel work and the way that they're showing activity and the way that they're using the visual storytelling. A great example of that is what I was just getting around to, which is when when uh, Cal is chasing the uh, the killer killer replicant, the one with his face all bashed in, right. Um, and he gets into this like apartment building and they're having a fight through the apartment building. And then like the apartment building is also unfolding as you're reading the comic. So you're like traveling through with them as they're like breaking through walls and stuff. And at one point during this, you know, Cal grabs like some cables from a, from a passing wall and, and he's, then he's carrying it with him for a couple of panels. And you're like, what does he still have these things in his hand? And then he puts it around the killer replicant's neck and it snaps him back. Right. Another example of that, of course, is why he has that coat, which is another moment that I just loved because, uh, of course, he you know uses it as a weapon. So he something that he learned to do as a kid fighting in this 6B slum sector is to weigh his coat down with small weights, right? So a, a lot of the, the things that I think could feel a little bit uh, stereotypically Blade Runner feel more prototypically Blade Runner because they feel like, oh, there's a reason why these things are the way that they are. I also really love that Cal is so clearly conflicted by so much of this, but he also fundamentally enjoys what he's doing. And that's something that feels refreshing to me, right? Because Deckard and Kay, let alone Ash from the 2019, 2029 comics, they're all kind of like their world weariness is a big part of who they are and a big part of why their characters all feel so much of a, of a set. Whereas Cal like makes a lot of jokes. He's kind of cocky. Um, he likes to sort of dare people to, to try something like he's, he's clearly kind of pulled in over his head in this, but he seems like he's having fun with it a lot of the time. And that feels tonally refreshing to me. No, right. Again. And I think that that's timeline based. And I think that's, and you helped put it into words for me too. So thank you. Um, a lot of what he does, it just wouldn't work in the other times, but I do think you're right. I think his fighting style is a style that later um, you could see the 
Blade Runners adapting because that's the only way you're going to be able to defeat or otherwise disable or otherwise save your own life if you were in some sort of hand-to-hand combat situation with a replicant. They're stronger, faster, smarter. The only thing that you're going to do if you don't have your blaster already firing on them is you're going to have to use something other than your own strength or body um, to get rid of them. And I think that's something I hadn't even thought of, but I, you know, I, I feel like he could now teach a class on those things. And again, the reason why it works so well is because in this situation, it's not sort of a Blade Runner using some form of training or otherwise combat skills to, to if you're in this scenario, this is what you do. You know, you hit the switch on them or something, you know, whatever other movie where it's, it's obvious that a trained force is trained to fight that specific type of combatant. Um, I think he works because it's so new um, that it's just, again, like you said, it, it's surprising. And I think it, it is refreshing to have a, a, a hero actually enjoy what they do and not sort of be an anti-hero or a, a sort of just goody two-shoes doing their job. I think he's just, he's out to, to sort of antagonize people. Again, it seems like from his upbringing, he's used to being in these scenarios, not exactly with a replicant I'm on the other end of it, but he's, he's someone who enjoys getting into the scuffle. And I think that that helps too, because he, he's not sort of a, it doesn't go into too far uh, the Deckard role either, which you get worried about. Um, with a male protagonist, but then, you know, you have the uptick of a female protagonist either, which is however the sex is. And I think we'll talk about a little bit in this too. And, and now playing with those roles um, in body and mind. Um, but it's nice to have him not be sort of a, a typical detective. He's not sort of, you know, so coy that he's, people are fumbling into his trap and relaying their plans to him. I think he's just, out there kicking butt and pissing people off and if it so happens in his way then okay great but it's it's a fun character it's a different character that again to relearn and, and learn how to use it and i think that was part of my confusion too which is to you i lost myself in the timeline a couple of times too and had to remember that i think you've brought me back to that and made it a little clearer too which is yeah i, I guess he is he is a lapd officer i kept forgetting that throughout the story I'd be like wait it isn't he supposed to know what he's doing? Isn't he supposed to be hunting these and know what to do with a replicant or what his goal is? Or So, yeah, I think that helps. But again, just the fact that it's sort of in the topsy-turvy and I've sort of lost my bearings in the story a couple of times is really fun. But it's fun to be there again and want to figure it out. And like I said, reread pages, reread issues. Yeah. It is fun. There's a lot of is what I'm reading what I'm actually reading going on, yes. which I think contributes somewhat to that sense of of like, hang on, I got to go back that you're talking about. But what I, what I enjoy, though, is that it's, I feel like the storytelling is really clear. It's just that it's complicated. Like there, there's a lot of, you know, potential double crossing going on, double agents going on. But also there's people who are like literally in different bodies, you know, throughout. So you're you're kind of consistently trying to figure out where allegiances could be and like 
you know, the whole the Effie and Lydia thing, like if there was something there that was romantic or not, like there's, there's a, lot, a lot of things that there's subtext that you have to kind of, you know, read into and draw your own conclusions from. And of course, like this, the, the, the moment where this is most brought to the fore is in the second issue when we meet Asa, who is this Nexus 4 model whom Lydia has transferred her or his consciousness into. Um, and Asa is a male appearing replicant whom Lydia had been drawing since childhood. And clearly, it, it clearly feels to me like this has, you know, it, some degree of relevance as like a trans character that this is Lydia had always felt like, you know, he was really Asa and, and needed to, and, I'm not, and we don't know exactly if, if that was a driving force behind this transference event. I kind of feel like it probably wasn't, but that it probably was, um, you know, leading Lydia in that direction somewhat by researching, you know, this idea of not feeling comfortable in the body you were given or not feeling like you're, you know, clearly identified as who you actually perceive yourself to be on the inside by the outside. And I feel like that is something that, as we know well from people who have written into our show, from people who have been on our show in the past who are trans, uh, something that replicants have spoken to for many people in the trans community for a long time. Uh, and, and that this is, I think, as far as I can tell, the first time we're seeing very clearly that used as a storytelling convention within Blade Runner overtly, right? Not just as this sort of, uh, you know, as a metaphor. Um, but it doesn't just stop, of course, with Asa, right? We have characters like the drag queen who owns the bar, um, who I, I love as a side character. The drag queen's character also is just great. And, and of course, is the vector for understanding for Lydia's brother, Lydia slash Ace's brother, Marcus, who didn't understand what Lydia had been going through and didn't have, you know, the empathy for it. And, and we get this other character who straddles different worlds and different gender identities who allows Marcus to see that, which is really powerful. But then Marcus goes and double crosses uh, Asa, which is really interesting to me. And of course, again, makes me wonder if that's what we're actually seeing or not. And again, for people who are, because, you know, you could be listening to this at any time. As of right now, Peter and I have just finished issue eight. So we will be probably getting answers to a lot of this soon. But as of right now, what we have, basically the story that we're sitting on right now is that um, this next, I'll just go ahead and, and then I'm, I'm going to turn it back to you to talk about Asa and Lydia, but just to kind of put in stone where the story is right now. We recently found out that this Nexus, Nexus 5 model who had been you know, proselytizing or transforming replicants via thought mechanisms to this new freedom movement was actually Nia, who is Cal's sister, whom we've been hearing quite a bit about, you know, that she was sick, that something was up, but we didn't really know what was going on. So it seems like Nia had obviously against her will been subjected to this, you know, research experiment where her consciousness had been transferred via this neural net into a Nexus 5 which uh, again, had not existed before her. She was the, the, the pathbreaker for the Nexus 5. Uh, and that Nexus 5 program was run by this uh, Elora Stahl character who was hunting everybody, but was engineered chiefly by Lydia Kine, who was this brilliant engineer working for Tyrell Corporation. And Lydia, of course, had uh, died outwardly, at least. Her body had been you know, discovered uh, or maybe not discovered. Was her body discovered or was she just presumed dead? Her body was discovered early on, right? Yeah. Um, her body had been found with her vertebrae smashed, right? 
Yeah, so it was suspicious. So they were they were like a replicant must have done it. But of course, then Lydia turns up to be Asa, who is a Nexus Four replicant, who's very very cool and very strong. Uh, and her Lydia's again. I'm I don't even, I'm not sure exactly which um, which pronouns to use. I'll say theirs because that that's easy enough. Uh, their memory and consciousness, at least most of their memory, had been transferred into Asa. So Asa is aware of most of what happened, but apparently not the experimental stuff that led to Nia, the Nexus 5, being created. So that has all happened. Recently, Cal has learned that Nia is the Nexus 5 that he has been trying to find this whole time. Uh, so he's a little stressed about that, and but also happy to see his sister again. And uh, and we're, we've learned that Cal grew up in 6B, the district in Los Angeles, which is this sort of slum district, and that he was, you know, felt very much at home there. Uh, and lastly, that uh, Lydia Kine's brother, Marcus, ha- is currently, as we record this, and as we're, we are in the arc right now, leading the uh, basically all of these troops from Tyrell Corporation to Nia and Cal and his, you know, sibling asa so that's uh, did i miss anything that felt more comprehensive than i expected it was going to be <laughs> no but I th- that's exactly it and that's what's so fun about this again i've like i said i had to go back several times to figure out just how those connect and i think again it's not the storytelling it's not a fault of anything other than trying to figure out whose consciousness is where and what motivates their, um, I guess, drive to do whatever it is they're trying to do or, or why, you know, to dumb it down even more, it's sort of, wait, why are they mad at that person right now? Oh, yeah, I got to read back. Okay, that's because Lydia and Nia were working, you know, so it's fun and it, it's, it's, it's a puzzle and I think it takes a minute to do it. And again, it's not the storytelling, it's just there's a lot going on. And I think there's a lot of bigger themes um, that, again, the reason why it's so easy and so fun is because it's, it's all within the Blade Runner theme. And I think to not get too far off track of where we're going, just kind of character by character here, but I think a lot of it um, sort of the, um, the transference of, of thought or transference of your person into the shell of a replicant. I think that's pretty familiar because although it's not something that's been done fully as in origins, you know, we've seen obviously the memory implants we've seen for whatever reason, we don't know why Tyrell put his niece's memories into Rachel um, 2049 suggests uh, a stability issue and sort of a just allowing the replicant to move on and be able to feel stable and have a, a life and I guess just live um, rather than having no memories or only memories from the beginning of its incept. But I think the complete transference, well, initially I sort of, I didn't groan. But I thought, well, okay, typically in science fiction, there's the all-powerful bad guy who doesn't want to die. So he's looking to transfer some of his power or something into some other vessel, typically the protagonist or some other person um, who then will help uh, continue the eternal life or whatever, something like that. This is the the Voldemort scenario. But it makes a lot of sense, especially for someone like um, Tyrell, 
or someone to try to develop a replicant or the, again, to me, it seems more in line with the clientele. Again, uh, you know, initially we're learning that the replicants were more, like you said, sort of a, a fancy toy, get someone to wash your car, someone to do your dishes. Um, I think it's also been established that it's probably some menial labor. It looks like there's still some mines and uh, I don't know if it's combat or, or apparently the, you know, the secret box from the first um, scenes that we see in all of Origins apparently is the box of replicants that you open to win your battle or something like that. And, you know, as the simple put, but to, to put your consciousness into another person seems like something that the class of people that we later see, I think in sort of 2019 and probably in 2049 um, is a very enticing product. I think to then, you know, if you're not going to get off world, um, if your body's not going to make it off world, at least your consciousness could be put in a replicant and live on. And, you know, it's enticing, but I think they do it in a lot of very interesting ways. And I like that it seems like it's going to be a very contained time. And as if almost to say, let's not go there again. But let's do this story. It works for Blade Runner. It's going to have some great, I think, story uh, tidbits and touch on a lot of themes. But it's almost too easy to go there at a different time under less capable hands, I guess is one way to say it. So I'm glad they're doing it now because the writers who are doing this particular, these issues, these episodes, this particular Blade Runner Origins comics are doing it fantastically. So I'm glad they're doing it here. Again, like Cal, I think it's, it's sort of a theme with me. I'm glad they're doing these stories back in 2009. And then particularly with this creative team that seems to be doing a lot of cool stuff with it. Can it be a really easy to just be, oh, they did this because Tyrell wanted to live forever. I don't know that that's even the case. You know, what would, it seems more like a, a Lydia, I don't know, just something that she decided to try or I don't know what. But I like that it's not going just straight right to Tyrell wanted to live forever. He tried to put his consciousness in the Nexus 5 and it didn't work. So. I kind of got off base there. So bring us back. But I, I, I like it. I, I like what's going on. And a lot of it reminded me too. again, I won't get too off. And I'll stop talking in just a minute. But it reminded me a lot of, of the Cold Forge and the placement of both a, a female into a, a male body or a, you know, a, almost a, a transgender or I just I like that it's it's putting um it's, it's mixing with those things in a very, what seems to be comfortable way. And I think, again, like we've always talked about science fiction is one of the best vessels to do that. And to, I like that they're using it in a very non overt way in a very blade runner way to bring sort of present day, I don't know, issues to just the story in a very, it, it's very natural and it seems very interesting, but again, it, it all works within the blade runner universe. But let's 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 get back to what you're talking about. <laughs> no, no, no. They, they, uh, yeah. Going on tangents is is the best thing that can happen to the show. So yeah. I so a, any opportunity, take it. 
those were also you brought up a lot of great points that I'm I'm I'm, gonna, I'm losing track of, but I want to get back. Right, yeah, that's one why of I them, wanted to stop before you got too late. <laughs> there's too much brilliance. A lot, like, too a much. lot like the story, but that's why it's so great. Again, why I had to keep going back because you're like, wait, I want to follow this thread. Right, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, yeah. so like each I, I wanna, issue you can follow one. I don't know. Okay, go on. And I, I almost wish we could do an episode <laughs> of each fun. issue, but n- nobody yeah. would be listening by the end because everybody'd no. be like, We're, we no. can read the comic book. Um, I want to I want to bookmark what you were saying about contemporary issues there. And I want to uh, go back a little bit to you were talking about the timeline, the fact that it's 2009. It's important. Oh, yeah. And, and the reasons why this technology is being worked on. So that is something that I'm really excited about. And, and like you, I'm genuinely in the dark on it at this point, because I also agreed that I, I originally had assumed this was just basically rich people creating a way to live forever or to like have better sex or to like be stronger or, you know, like they're basically just like this fantasy life of having an avatar to live through basically. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. But what's interesting is that in, in 2019, 2029, the comics, you know, Tyrell is a, is a big figure usually by proxy, but he's kind of all over it. And this one, even though these are all people or almost all of them, I mean, almost every single character that we're reading about is in some way connected directly to Eldon Tyrell. We don't see him or hear about him at all. Like it, it's all about the inner workings of sort of mid-level people in the company. We do get some clues to why this technology was being worked on a couple of times. And one of them, which I wish I could just you know find right now, but uh, suggests, I think it's a Laura. Uh, no, it might be actually somebody else suggesting that the purpose of this was combat, that the idea with transference was to was for fighting somehow. Um, and again, I don't know the context of that or how, but I do know that Kalantha comes up at least twice in these books, um, once as Kalantha with a K and once as Kalanthia, also with a K, um, whereas in other sources, it was with a C, which is interesting, and which I hope we can talk to the team about because it was probably intentionally changed at some point. Oh, it had to, it had to be. Yeah. yeah. And also, I, you know, I've been thinking a little bit about that. And I, I've been thinking about how there's, you know, Arrakis and Arakeen. You know, there's like the city of Arakeen on the planet of Arrakis. It could be a situation like that where the whole colony, like the, the world that it was on was Calanthia, but the actual colony where the siege took place was Calantha or something. I don't know. I'm probably giving too much benefit of the doubt, but who knows? But I mean, so much thought has gone into this stuff that I would find that sort of unlikely. Anyway, the reason I bring it up is that that the events on Calantha that we see very beautifully in Blackout 2022 happened in 2007 in the Blade Runner universe. And Cal was a participant in that. Um, so, and again, the the siege on Calantha was like a, a Tyrell-led effort that pitted what turned out to be replicants against replicants in, in battle. Um, so it was like a proxy war fought through replicants and, and it was traumatic and led, you know, in many ways to what happened in 2022 with the blackout. Um, it was something where, uh, you know, this technology, which was nascent at the time, right? Like Nexus 4s, one, one would presume were probably relatively new still in 2007, um, you know, was just immediately weaponized literally by humans for for their gain. And, uh, and I think that, you know, we see in origins, the immediate fallout emotionally of that. And that to me is really powerful. A lot of fallout is about what the replicants who made it through those events and have been manufactured or or created since, how they've dealt with the trauma from that, right? And so we see, of course, through Nia, the beginnings of that resistance movement that who knows if it's the same liberation movement that we see elsewhere in the canon, but one, one would assume because, you know, this is the same people and, you know, Michael Green is a creative consultant for this, as is Mike Johnson, um, that this leads to what eventually we see in 2049 with Freya and, and the underground replicants, right? That like this liberation movement, you know, goes first to the blackout and then from there. 
So I find that really interesting from a timeline perspective. Something else you would, oh yeah, uh, Cold Forge. So that, I'm glad you brought that up. For those of you who might not know what Peter's talking about, there's a, a terrific, it's my favorite alien novel, uh, Alien, the Cold the Cold Forge, which Alex White, who is a really good friend of ours and an amazing author, wrote uh, probably about six years ago at this point. And they recently had uh, another novel come out after that called Indecryptus, which is also similarly fantastic. And you can get that, both of those from Titan Books, which is the same publisher as this stuff we're talking about tonight. Uh, and in the Cold Forge, the, the main character, Blue it, Marsalis, is suffering from this degenerative disease. And she feels like her body isn't really hers and she uh, you know, wants to get outside of it. And so she does basically a, a transference event similar to this, um, which then goes on to become another transference event of sorts in the next book. And it's really, really interesting. And to me, that was one of the first sort of, and I think the term is transhumanism. Like, I think it's it's the idea of, of you know, not no longer just being human, but being, you know, something else other than that. That was one of the first times I'd really thought in depth about that before. And, and it's it's stayed with me ever since as something very powerful, especially because we live in a world where, you know, we're constantly being told that, you know, there's going to be things happening in the future where we're indistinguishable, indistinguishable from our machines or, you know, where our technology is so integrated into us that we become like functionally immortal or whatever. You know, we, we live in a world where the conversations like that happen and seeing it in entertainment is really interesting. So anybody who's enjoying Origins, make sure you check out Alex White's novels. They're absolutely terrific. But getting back to what we're talking about with current events, right? That's something that feels current because it is current, because we are dealing with questions about that now, Right. Um, questions about not only, you know, who we, who we are, but, um, what our future holds and also questions about like, for example, how capitalism, of course, you know, stamps out everybody who can't afford to keep up with it. And that is a theme that of course pops up all over Blade Runner and all the different guises. But here we get to really spend time in that theme because we get to spend time in this six B segment of Los Angeles, which is the slums which is not only, you know, a place for the downtrodden people who are still on world and being, you know, taken advantage of, but it's also a place where, um, you know, people are used for experimentation, you know, where people are taken off the streets, presumably, or taken from hospitals or shelters. And they're actually, um, you know, experimented on by Tyrell who can do it all under the guise of, you know, isn't this better for you? Like, don't you, wouldn't you rather just be like a better person? Like, wouldn't you rather not be sick anymore? And, uh, and assuming in their entitlement, that that's something that everybody would want. And again, entitlement is another thing that comes up all throughout these books. And I'm glad that it does because it's something that comes up a lot in our own world as well. And it should be talked about. And that entitlement, as the replicants are telling the humans, not only makes them predictable, but it makes them boring, right? It makes a human, um, like they're suggesting in some ways that the more human than human part of replicants is that they are, you know, unentitled because they don't, they've never been able to be. And that, that, you know, perhaps makes them more honest and harder to, to pin down. But yeah, there's a lot of contemporary issues brought up throughout it. No, oh, yeah. I, I think there's a lot there. And I, I think a lot of what is really interesting with the transference portion is again, it, it's a, it's a Blade Runner theme um, that I think a, a avid Blade Runner listener of us, particularly the show, but just anyone who's, who's found any of the, movies even somewhat interesting is you know there, there's the theme that even just the replicants themselves we don't entirely understand you guys did a good job of this in, in the manufacturing portion or you know what how replicants are made or are designed and you know the, the portion regarding the memories and the themes 
and just the age of a replicant, you know, we, there's a lot of discussion about Roy Batty being part of why he's so unpredictable is because he could be the almost the development stage of a four-year-old in a superhuman killing, you know, body. And so it's very unpredictable. Um, but at the same time, I think in, in certain scenes of empathy or scenes where um, regardless of your age, if you're treated a certain way, you're going to react a certain way. I think those themes go through this too. And I, I found myself thinking a lot of times about how the transference and it being um, typically here, at least in ASA, or Asha, how are you? So we can be sort of. <laughs> I'm saying Asa. Asa, yes. Okay, that's better. Asa sounds a little weird. Yeah. No, Asa, and that makes sense too. Um, but with Asa being a, a, I think the male, I believe, yes, it's, it, it's a male form in that it's not overtly female. But yeah, it's almost sort of a neutered mannequin which is oftentimes how you see sort of a replicant maybe coming off or being um, born, incepted, however you want to see it. You know, for me, it's a lot of times coming out um, of, of that Ziploc bag at the, uh, with Wallace. But, you know, it's sort of a, a, a open canvas that's then adapted or somehow formed based on the task. And I think here now putting a perhaps a, a another gender or at least the experiences of a gender within the body of a different gender, I think is very actually easy to comprehend here because again, oftentimes when you'd meet a replicant, as at least how I would imagine it, I mean, you wouldn't know at to what extent or to what uh, maturity level you're going to be interacting with someone. Are they going to be someone who's, you know, their memories are of only hard work or, or, you know, again, is, is it a child where they're going to react in different ways? Is it someone like love who's going to cry at times when it just seems odd or just, I, I just like the unpredictability of it. And I think so far it's been written in a very interesting way that the characters aren't written based on the outward appearance of the body they inhabit, which again has caused me to have to go back certain times to see is that character acting in a way that would then give you a clue to that you maybe could have seen this coming earlier. So again, it's just, it's so fun to talk about this because it's so layered that it's not easy. You know, you know what I mean? We're not just sitting here thinking, talking about, Oh, it's the detective. He found these two clues by issue eight. He's found the eighth clue. We know there's going to be 12 clues. Once he forms all 12 clues into the one clue, then he's going to be able to open the door. It's just, Again, it's 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 super fun because of that and all these different things. But I think the transference part, at least so far, is being handled very well, and I think is is probably the most interesting part to me. Yeah, and it's very the way that it's dealt with is very humane and very real, and reminds me a lot of of conversations that I've had with trans friends of mine who have been through some of these events where family members are saying, you know, I don't recognize you anymore. You know, how could you do this? to us and to your birthright. And, you know, like, like, are you even, you know, are you even my daughter anymore? Things like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of really beautifully empathetic language in here about what that is like. Yeah. No, I think a lot of it's interesting too. And, and just, I, I keep thinking about it a lot of ways of, in a way that maybe could be used or it could have been used or ways to, again, I, I think of how 
again, with a favorite character being Wallace, I always think of ways that this could have been developed in a, again, a, a, a for good and then turned to evil. Not so much a, uh, just a utilitarian use for labor and then it turned to war and then turned to danger. I think of it a lot of times of replicants being a, a, a solution to a lot of ways. And I think some of it too could have been, you know, I think of, you know, people who are terminally ill or just have some form of, of degenerative disease. Again, often like the cold forge story where I just find that super interesting too, where there's a lot of talk of, and there, I think that lines even in this, one of the issues here where it's, I, this doesn't feel like my body. I think that's Nia talking about how she didn't, how you can tell that she wasn't a, at least entirely willing participant in this. And I think that's a really interesting thing. And I think a lot of replicants, I think, would deal with that. And then it goes into Rachel, it goes into Kay and the whole memory thing, which is probably the most interesting part of all this Blade Runner stuff, which is just, there's something that doesn't feel right. And I don't understand why. And so, you know, to, to put that in a, in a physical now body form and just have people, I mean, now you just don't even know who you're dealing with inside the replicant. So it's, it's cool. It's again, it's, I like it because it's not just simply baddie moving consciousness. And I don't mean Roy baddie. I mean, just the bad guy, again, trying to become that eternal, you know, bad guy who lives forever it, it, they're using it very interesting and very blade runner themes it's very true to all the things that we love about this one more kiss dear. one more sigh only this dear is goodbye yeah and it, and it does it all in such a classic Blade Runner way under the guise of what is outwardly a pretty simple detective noir story, right? Right, yeah. Which I just love. And it's something that we don't talk... We should do a, a whole, like, series on the noir conventions of Blade Runner at some point. I Actually, you know, I'm going to, I'm gonna like, write that down once we hang up because I, I want to yeah. come back to it because I, that's something that I don't think we appreciate is that all of these, these stories that we read feel immediately like Blade Runner to us because they obviously go philosophically in directions that we can, you know, love and we can talk about. But before they go there, and before we have that rubric in place, we're presented with a story outline that feels right, right? And the comics have all taken that form, basically. They've taken the form from the first film, which is a detective story. It's somebody hunting somebody down. And that, as a story container, uh, is something that just is always interesting. Because at the end of the day, you can go through all these questions about identity and mortality and memory, all these huge things that we talk about all the time. But you can also kind of tune that out if you're not that kind of a viewer and just have a really good whodunit narrative to, right, yeah. to fall back on. And this has a really good, solid whodunit narrative, right? Like I was laughing when you were talking about how, you know, we know that the story is not just going to be, he's got to get this clue and this clue and this clue, and then he gets out of the escape room. But there is an element of that that's important, I think, which is that there is a procedural aspect to it. But what's interesting is going back to what we were starting with, you know, is that we're seeing the prototype of that. Like we're seeing somebody figuring out how to track replicants and somebody figuring out that there's more to replicants than what we've assumed, right? And his journey, Cal's journey of, you know, being of learning to stop calling them it all the time, right, is, is very important. And I, and I want to, you know, as we kind of close out here, I want to go back to the, the way that language is used and, and to really 
call out Kate Perkins and Mello Brown on this and to just say again, I, I truly hope we can get either or both of them on the show at some point because the way that they are writing this feels to me to be genuinely important. There are ways in which it's important that are, you know, maybe more superficial, but I, I don't think so, but some of our listeners might. But one of them is just the diversity of the characters in this, which I think is significant. You know, the fact that the characters are, are almost all people of color or Asian or Asian American people um, is that's important. The fact that there's so much, so many different languages here that are not even translated for us, right? There's a whole, there's a Hail Mary in Spanish. You know, the street signs are in different languages. We have characters like um, uh, Lydia's friend, who I now can't remember her name. Uh, L. Effie, thank yes. you. Yeah, Effie. L is from Black Lotus. Uh, yeah. Characters like Effie, who just slips into Russian sometimes. You know, there's a real sense of uh, visibility here for a lot of types of characters who are not typically visible, and that obviously extends to trans people and you know transhuman elements like we get in the story too, which are clearly not explored enough at all. But also just you know having a you know, a black protagonist who is also a, a Cajun or something, right? Because he has all this French stuff going on when he speaks and with people, they have a little patois that develops um, when he goes back to the to the 6B slum. Like there is, there's just more going on here than a typical Blade Runner story, which, you know, it, it, I think is important. And I don't, I don't want to say, because whenever we, it's funny, whenever we talk about this stuff, we get like angry messages from people. And, and I don't, I've never really, gotten that because to me blade runner has always been about that it's about you know seeing everybody it's about being seen for who you are and it's about representing that vividly and beautifully right and 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 to me origins more than any story we've had so far does that origins represents such a panoply of of humanity in such a beautiful way and uh and in such a uh like a, a genuinely empathetic way like i was talking about so for example you know, we're not just told that this character felt out of place in, you know, their body, but we're told why, and we're given a glimpse into what that was like. And we're given a slow reveal into the human behind the trope or the person behind the quote unquote wokeness that we're being presented with. We're given a real narrative and a real human to pin this on. I, I really, truly appreciate that. And I think Kate Perkins and Mella Brown have done a beautiful job of writing that in a really great way. So, yeah, so my closing thoughts, I guess, would be that, um, again, I want to say that Danino has done an extraordinary job with the artwork. There are panels in this that are just unforgettable to me. And I mean, like big design decisions that, that, that he makes, presumably a lot of them were done from, you know, there's some things like the street tram that you recognize from production artwork or from some of Sid Mead's work, but there's other things in here that I don't recognize from anywhere. There's, you know, among other things, a Fox body Mustang in it, which I fucking love. There's, you know, there's a, a spinner fire truck at one point. There's uh, just all of these just really interesting design choices throughout. And then the ways that they're deployed are so interesting. Like I was saying earlier with the visual storytelling, like the, you know, going through the apartment frame by frame, um, the death of Effie, which really hit me hard with those silhouetted archways, right? Where you see her walking and then one of the archways is red because she gets shot while she's passing through that one. And then it shows her falling. A lot of moments that feel Blade Runner to me because they feel like the cinematography that Ridley Scott used in the first movie, right? Um, like clearly that is, you know, reminiscent of Zora going through the plate glass windows, but it's done here in a way that feels new and different and so visual. And I just, you know, again, as somebody who's, who's a, a really, uh, probably reads more comics than I can afford to every month. Like I, I, I am, I am 
specifically really impressed with the visual storytelling that's happening. And I want to call that out. But I wanted to make sure I didn't want to let get you off, let you off the hook so easy here either for a moment there. I mean, part of my, what I wanted to talk to you for just a moment about, I know, I know we're getting long on tooth here a little, but you know, with your, you know, just for the, the listenership, you know, I've, I've always been a, a comic fan, but it's, it's been for very specific titles. And I often get times it will get um, a little too worried about starting a, a brand new series. And so a lot of times I stick to the little ones that I can handle and are manageable. A lot of alien themes when I was younger. Um, and even now, you know, like I, I like that these Blade Runner series are starting now so I can get in. Yeah. And I'll have to figure out where to touch base later. Um, but Patrick, you have a much you know broader sort of understanding to that. And at least to me, um, the Origins comic is, again, it's, it's a different way to read comics for me. And again, even under the Blade Runner banner, I mean, you're used to even in 2019 and 2029. And again, this is not, they're amazing. So there's, there's no talking down to those at all, but it's, and even in watching, you know, now some of the Black Lotus episodes, there's sort of a, a formula um, that I would think and makes sense for a Blade Runner story. You have, um, you know, the, the character, 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 city, character, 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 <laughs> city, because, you know, part of it is to always pan out and show you the beautiful city. Because, again, remind you, you're in the Blade Runner universe. I think Origins. Well, it has a couple beautiful giant scenes of the city that you get lost in. I think there's it 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 doesn't rest on that as much as I think I've seen a lot of other Blade Runner comics do, um, now animation do, or even sort of derivative works of you know that aren't Blade Runner but trying to be of a Blade Runner. Um, I guess visual sense to it is they're not lean. Origins doesn't lean on that as hard. I think there's a lot more on face, on hands, on eyes, on the, you know, they're, they're the cornerstones of any Blade Runner story. And they're themes that we've talked about a lot, the hands, the eyes. But I think you spend a lot of time in a little more confined space, which again, and I think without Jamie being here, it's fun to talk about, um, you know, sort of take his mantle up here for a second and say it's very character driven because you're spending a lot more time with these people. And yes, the city and Blade Runner is always, you know, that sort of off camera character, but they're not leaning on it so hard here. And I love that because again, I don't need to be reminded I'm in Blade Runner just to see the city. We're reminded we're being in Blade Runner universe because of the themes. And again, like you said, we're being challenged with other ways to see replicants and their struggles and just humans and their struggles. And I think that's really cool that it's not leaning on those sort of, I, I don't even want to say it, but tropes of, you know, sort of just the story. We're not, you know, yes, there's a spinner, but again, nothing about that sort of drives the story. It's, we're not dependent on that to make this cool. Um, so I think that's really cool. And I think to sort of, you know, in, in my clothing thoughts, and then I'll pass it to you. Um, again, I, I think all of Blade Runner, and again, like you said, where it seems odd that if a, a fan of Blade Runner doesn't like to talk about sort of these challenging issues of um, race, um, sexuality, 
um, identity. It's it's sort of the what I've always sort of the heart of all of Blade Runner is like you've mentioned several times of just empathy. I mean, you can see if you can figure out what makes someone else scared, you can oftentimes figure out what is making them tick. And if uh, you know if someone's scared of change or being having things done in a different way that maybe they will not be able to assert the same type of power or privilege that they've had. Um, you know, any of us are scared of losing control. Any of us are scared of our worlds changing in any appreciable way. Um, and I think this story is going into a lot of that regarding just, you have to look in, in this story, it's, it's, you have to look even beyond the body now and figure out what's inside anyone. And it's never going to be what you think. And so I don't know that it, that gets a little bit cheesy, but I really, just enjoy that in this one where it's just they're playing a lot of different card games here and now it's even you know within the bodies and bringing it you know back down to the beginning of the story too it's just really cool to hear about these other nexus models and you know rachel was a nexus seven but we don't know that there was ever another one so it also is in theme that maybe the nexus five was only these two or this one just the one yeah just need yeah it. just the one and i think that's what i had to keep going back for forth too is you know you kind of had that bait and switch which was you thought this nexus four was it the nexus five but really it's a different so again it's, it's just really cool that these sort of models um were used for different things and eventually you know this is how you know you implant if you were good at and at some point could transfer an entire consciousness of an entire person it leads to the memory portion. And so, but again, bringing it back, I think the biggest theme here is, is, is empathy and in all of it. And it, it just works. Beautifully said, but beautifully said. I wanted you to touch one more time. Just yes. How has it been for you as a avid comic book reader in reading and how they're using the different the frames, the panes, the boxes, however you want to say it, but it's just been so cool how they're just, telling the story on the page. Oh yeah. Let me, let me bookmark that. Cause I'll remember that one and go back. Just before yeah. one thing you said that I want to make sure I don't forget about something that I want to make sure we don't lose sight of is why this neural net transference doesn't survive as far as we can tell the events of this series, right? Because we have, you know, media from 10 years after this, a lot of it, as you know, both the film and the comics that don't talk about this transference stuff at all right? Where there's just no mention of it. And indeed, it would solve a lot of the problems that people are having in 2019, right? If, if they could get it to work well, um, you know, it would be a huge viable alternative for going off world, for example, right? Like there's all this big struggle about people being able to get off the planet, um, you know, and those who can't being stuck here because they're, you know, a lot of the time they have, uh, you know, disorders or they're not genetically suited for it, or they don't have the money to get off world, right? They're the the people, you know, below decks on the Titanic. Like, those people would have this other alternative of being able to just switch to a better life, right? Of being able to switch to a healthier body that wouldn't decay on them. Um, so there's reasons why that didn't happen. And what I'm hoping is that Origins not necessarily answers for us the question of why that leaves the Blade Runner mythos, but at least gets us to a point where we can start seeing the road to why this is a bad idea or why this wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Um, I personally, and I'm assuming that this will 
conclude after 12 issues similar to 2019 um I, I I am not ready to say goodbye to this story at all. Like this is a story that I, as a Blade Runner fan, am, am really, really, really hooked on in a way that I, I have not been outside of the films, even with the Ash story, which again, I love, and we talked about quite a bit. Um, th- this is the first thing that has really gotten its tenterhooks in me. And I'm very much excited to see Cal and to see Asa and to see these characters go onto other things. So hopefully there'll be another arc coming after this, but if there's not, there's a lot of responsibility in these final issues of this story to uh, to to set us up for why things change so drastically and what happens that led to the events that we know so well from the first movie. But um, going back to what you're saying about the comic, the use of visual storytelling, it's really, really sophisticated. And that's something that throughout I'm, I'm just I'm really struck by. And, and you know, and to be honest, the visual work for the 2019 and 2029 comics are also incredible. I think that they've just done an amazing job art wise with that. But I agree that something that is so refreshing and I'm glad you brought this up because I don't think I had connected it until you said it. It hadn't really registered with me is the focus on interiors and character work in this. Right. The fact that basically every single panel has one of our characters very forefront in it that there are very few sweeping shots of the city even and the ones we get are great but it's they're very few and far between a lot of it is interiors and it's people having dialogue or fighting you know which is which is great and a lot of it also is stuff like this right where this is after that same I'm holding up the camera for those listening you know after that same apartment skirmish at the end of it they fall down a series of balconies and the dialogue is following them down the balconies right um and this is after Asa you know knocks the uh, the killer uh replicant down and then beheads him and it's a, it's just like a series of panels that are just so electric they just they make the they make it feel like the page is uh is illusory like it's just you know a gateway for us to the images likewise there's a lot of things like you know there's motion lines which is something that you don't see very much nowadays in comics but when cal whips his head around right when he's yelling for answers or something you know you see the visual indicator of him doing that it just feels very cinematic to me um, and the ways in which things are framed are just, they're really beautiful and really iconic. There's another, you know, there's a number of really good splash panels. And I've talked to, uh, on a few of these comic shows about splash panels and why I think they're so cool. But the, especially in the context of Blade Runner, it's basically an excuse to have a really good artist give us like a full page or two contiguous of Blade Runner artwork, right? And Danino does just gangbusters with that. And there's one in issue two or three where, uh, or maybe four, I don't know, where Cal is going back to what was Lydia's apartment. And you probably know the panel I'm talking about. He's got, you know, he's he's dealing with all of these, you know, these uh, combatants there. And he's whipping around and shooting one on a balcony behind him. And the framing of that shot is just like amazing. It's just so artful. And this whole book to me is just a series of that. It's just, a, it's, it's just a, it's an extraordinarily visually well-rendered environment to enjoy a, a killer Blade Runner story in. And again, it's, it's not only a killer Blade Runner story, it's a killer pre-Blade Runner story. And that I think is what's so interesting about it. This is, this is the germs that led to the growth of what eventually becomes Blade Runner. This is the, the germination period of it. So uh, yeah, in closing, I, I would say, uh, please go buy it. Please go support this stuff. People listening right now, it, you know, it, you may have think you may think that we have spoiled everything for you. If you're somehow still listening to this and you haven't read them yet, but we're just, we're not, there's so much to explore here. 
and uh, and and the best way to do it is to is to read it yourself and support you know ideally your local comic shop if you know where the one is that you can go to the free comic book locator online if you don't already know uh, where there might be one nearby just type it into Google and it'll pull it up. Um, you can also get it direct from the publisher if you want. You can have it shipped to you. You can get it digitally, but there's just all these options and you should you should support them because they're creating really valuable storytelling in a franchise that you love enough to be listening to a full episode of. So you'll love it. Yeah, and with that, I have, I have nothing more to close and I'm just going to stop because it could be another two hours. Like you said, there's so much in here and I don't, and again, I feel we haven't really touched on so many things, so many characters that deserve more time of us speaking about them. And I think the only thing I'd end in is just, as you said, the, the visual part is amazing and, and sort of a, a amateur or mid-level comic book reader. Again, I went back several times to reread a page just to make sure I was reading it the correct way. I mean, I felt like some panels were going from right to left or up to down. And it was just, it was, and again, that's nothing to say other than the skill of it um, leaves you in a very disoriented but loving it um, place. And again, it's 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 so much fun. I haven't had this much fun reading a comic in a very, very long time, and it makes me excited for just well, everything to come. And again, the fact that it's within the Blade Runner universe and with these themes and stories is just... It's fantastic. It's the best. So yeah, yeah. this has been fun. This has been awesome. It has been fun. Thank you for joining. I know it's been a long Thanksgiving yeah. weekend, but we could do this and, uh, and we'll, I'm sure we'll circle back when the, when the rest of the issues come out and we'll do like a, a little look back at Cal's journey to date after issue 12. Yeah. Thank you Perfect. everybody. And thank you to our patrons. Thanks. We'll do a bigger shout out to you uh, on the next show when the uh, gang is back and we can read through the, the, uh, the people who have joined, but thank you so much to all of you who joined and have a great night, week, day, wherever you are. Bye. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.